The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Sapporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, and and coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over all the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear their burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. Over the past few weeks, we have been seeing how God 
actually draws near to us in our weaknesses. And so this week, if you're just joining us, this is part two from last week. So I am building off of last week. You can find us on YouTube and watch the video, or you can find us on, on our website, or you can find us on iTunes if you want to watch the pod, or listen to the podcast from last week. But we've been learning that God draws near to us in our weaknesses. And this is pretty much counterintuitive to the way we think God works. We think that God is really pleased with us, that he really likes us when we're doing well, when everything is going well in our life. We think that it's in our strong periods of time, our strong periods of faith, that God draws near to us. But the Bible tells a different story. It was in the Israelites' weaknesses that God came near. It was in their slavery in Egypt when God heard their groaning. It was at the Red Sea where no man's strength could save them that the waters of salvation parted and they were delivered. And it has been in the desert when food runs out, when the water is bitter, when water runs out, that God has met their every need. And last week, we began to see that even God's man, Moses, begins to falter. He begins to realize he's a man with weaknesses. He's a man with limitations. Maybe he begins to further realize that. He learned it once in the beginning of the story, and then he went away and had a great season of sanctification, came back. Maybe he thought, I've got it all together now. I'm God's man. I'm God's humble leader. Let's do this thing. But in the last few weeks, we've learned that Moses is relearning the reality of his own limitations. Moses, last week, lost faith in God for a moment, thought the people were going to stone him, because they were so thirsty, they lost, he thought, these people are losing, your, they're losing their mind. They're going to kill me, lose his faith in God. But God steps in and he took the blow that Moses deserved and the people deserved and he gave them water from the rock. It seems that God had led Moses to this emotional breaking point only so that he could show him his need and then graciously meet that need for him. Then the people were attacked by the Amalekites, who were too great of a military force for the Israelites. They were overmatched. God had given them more than they could handle. If you believe that God won't give you more than you can handle, then you don't know God, <laughs> or probably how much you can handle. He will, he will give you more than you can handle. He gave them more than they could handle, but God also gave them a supernatural military strategy, right? Here's what God says. God says, Moses, keep the staff of God up in the air as long as you can keep the staff of God up in the air so everybody knows it's not your strength, it's not the people's strength, it's not your superior military strategy that's gonna win this war, it's the staff of God. It's God that's going to do it. Moses, all you gotta do, keep that thing up in the air. If you keep it up, the Israelites win. This, of course, pushed Moses to his physical limits. As his strength began to fail and as his hands would come down to begin to rest, people would die. The Israelites would begin losing the battle. 
But it was in Moses' weakness that God gave him two men to help him, to help keep his hands raised, Aaron and Hur. Moses was not Superman. Moses was an emotionally and physically limited man. But it was in these limitations, these inherent weaknesses, that God came near and met their needs. And today we're going to see another limitation of Moses that we all share. We are all limited relationally, no matter what Facebook tells you. You do not have 1,000 friends. We are all relationally limited, and that is a good thing. But before we get into that, we've got some more really good news to talk about from this text. See, so many of us, when we begin to learn of our limitations, we want to reject them. They're saying no more, I mean, this generation, this new generation, this millennial generation has been raised on the mantras of you can do anything, you can be anything you want. And they get into the workforce and they realize, well, that I think my mom might have lied to me, right? If you played football, you should have learned that right away. I could not be a defensive lineman no matter what my mother told me. I couldn't be one with a, a spine that's in place. Let's just say that. I would be crushed, right? I can't be everything I want to be. I have limitations and we need to learn these limitations and not push back against them and reject them. We want, many of us, to purge ourselves from as many of our weakness, weaknesses from our body as, as possible. We want to purge them. As a wrestler, this was my motto for a long, long time. Right? Pain is weakness leaving the body, and let's get it out. The whole mentality behind this is that weakness and limitations are bad. Having limitations is bad. We think that we should be able to go without sleep or go without food for extended periods of time and still be able to perform at a high level. We're shocked. We're angry when we can't. We think that we should be able to push through and suck it up and make it happen. Whether it's winning a match or closing a deal or parenting children or keeping a clean house or having a good marriage, we think that we should be able to hold it all together all the time. And when we don't, we say, what's wrong with me? We push back against our limitation. And there's some who have even tried to use the Christian faith to justify this way of thinking and living. Some say this is a part of being a Christian. In some circles, it seems that there's this expectation for the Christian family to be a family without limits or weaknesses. The Christian family doesn't struggle financially. The Christian family doesn't fight and get ugly. The Christian family doesn't wrestle, wrestle with issues of faith and doubt. The Christian family, their schedule is just, oh, this is, this is great. This is easy. You don't have problems. This is one reason why so many churches feel so phony and superficial. 
We look at other nicely dressed, smiling families on Sunday morning, and we think, man, they must be so different from me. This has led some of us to even believe a false gospel, a gospel that says it's in your strength where God is pleased with you. When everything is going well, when you've got everything together, when you look the part, And this is really evident when I speak to people, Christians, about sharing their faith. So many Christians seem to think, when I get things figured out, then I'll share my faith. Or once I get this weakness in my life straightened out, then I'll share my faith. The thought seems to be, because I have limitations and weaknesses, I cannot be a good missionary. Now, I've heard preachers preach this all the time, and it comes in subtly. It comes in like, this is a Christian marriage, and therefore, since it's a Christian marriage, it's going to be so lovely and so beautiful, you're going to walk around, and there's going to be a heavenly glow about you. And your neighbors are going to walk out of the driveway and go, what do they have that I don't have? I want the glow. Oh, it's easy. You just put your faith in Jesus and you get the glow. And then you step into your house and the glow disappears and you guys fight like cats and dogs and you know it. And the dog poops on the carpet and the kid throws up and stuff gets broken in the house and you're freaking out. You don't like to invite people over to the house because it's not made up. What are they gonna think about me if if the house is all messed up and things aren't perfect? Oh, I know. I know because your spouse told me. No, just go. I know because I'm in it. I'm with you. I'm a part of it. I understand it. I live it. The thought seems to be because I have limitations and weaknesses, I cannot be a good missionary. Well, Moses shows us different. And I pray that we learn it this morning. Moses shows us that our deficiencies set the stage so that the sufficiency of God can be put on display. And it's God's sufficiency that brings people to him. Let me tell you this. It is not your coolness that brings people to Jesus. It is not your put-togetherness that brings people to Jesus. It is not your amazing personality or your amazing apologetic strategy that brings people to Jesus. It's God that brings people to Jesus. And our lives, our deficiencies need to show people where the sufficiency is at, right? Mirrors that reflect. Listen, you need help? I don't even know if I can help you, but I know who can, right? That's what Moses is going to show us this morning. Let's take a look. 18 chapter 1. I might get a little excited this morning. I was up a few times last night. I was praying to Jesus. We had kids waking up in the middle of the night, all night long. Mama had to sing. I had to preach. We're like, oh, Lord, I'm going to need your spirit tomorrow. Three hours of sleep. Who knows what's going to come out? Here we go. Jethro, the priest. First off, Jethro is just, I don't know any Jethros. I only know one Jethro, right? Was that Beverly Hillbillies? That's the only Jethro I know. So when I hear, I'm like, oh, Jethro. I know Jethro. No, it's different Jethro. Jethro the priest of Midian, Moses's father-in-law. Okay, Jethro here. Now, we need to know some backstory. Back Jethro is a Midianite priest. That means he's a pagan priest. He's not a follower of God. 
We don't know too much about Midianite religion, but more than likely, as in all the surrounding religions in this time, they're all polytheistic. They had many different gods. There were, you know, a plurality of worldviews. They're pluralistic. They believe that you can have a god of the sea, a god of the sky, a god of everything, right? And so Midianite is a pagan priest. And obviously, that's a problem because Moses and the Israelites are one of the first ever religions on the planet that is monotheistic. God is one. There is no other. Yahweh, God, is one. There is no other. And so Moses' father-in-law is a pagan priest, right? You think your father-in-law is hard to talk to about the gospel, right? This guy is a pagan priest. Now, we need to remember, Moses lived with Jethro for 40 years when he fled Israel, right? Moses had probably had many conversations with him about Yahweh, the one true God who had a special covenant relationship with Israel. Jethro had no doubt been a skeptic. Yeah, yeah, Yahweh, that's cool. Maybe I'll put a little statue up for Yahweh too. Here's all my gods on my mantle and I'll throw one up here for for Yahweh as well. Polytheism really isn't too much different from today's, you have your God and I have mine and all religions are the same. Let's just be nice people and get along. That's one of the strong religions of our day. But Moses meets Yahweh when he's at Jethro's house in a burning bush and Yahweh tells him, you got to go back and set your people free from Egypt. So Moses takes this information to Jethro and says, Jethro, I got to go back to Egypt to rescue the Israelites from Pharaoh's slavery. Now, I imagine that Jethro was like, that's not going to go well for you. Jethro knew Egypt. He was familiar with Egypt. He was familiar with Pharaoh. He, was familiar, he knew that they had the largest standing army on the planet at the time, that they were the, na- the, the most powerful nation in the world. There is no way, he knew there's no way Pharaoh is going to let you take 2 million of his workforce out of the country. Just go and go, hey, I'd like, you know, the Israel, can we have your slaves back? 2, two million, we just want to leave you. Jethro knows this ain't happening, right? This is not going to, more than likely Jethro was like, okay, I'll see you soon, <laughs> right? He can envision his mind. Moses goes, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, get out of here. Moses is like, okay, I'm out. Comes back to Jethro. Well, I tried, but it didn't work. But that's not what happened. Months go by and Jethro starts hearing reports about what Yahweh has done for Moses and for the people of Israel. And he starts getting a little intrigued. No way. How could this have happened, right? So Jethro, when he hears that Moses is in his neck of the woods, He wants to hear about it. He wants to go firsthand to Moses and ask him what happened, what's going on. I want to hear the story. So he goes out to meet with Moses and look how Moses responds. Verse seven, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down. There's this deferential treatment to him. He's honoring him. He bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they went into the tent. So Moses responds with just a great hospitality. 
This is welcoming out. He goes out and he meets him and he hugs him and he kisses him and he, and he welcomes. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? All right, let's come in. Let's eat. Let's break bread together. And so we see this kind of missional strategy, this how to be a good missionary 101. Moses is very hospitable. He welcomes people in, right? Now, look what happens. Verse eight, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Now, Moses takes things one step further. further. Listen, being a good missionary is more than just being hospitable and having coffee with people and having people over and, and going out for drinks. and do, Being missional, being a good missionary is more than that. So Moses does that. He welcomes him in. He, he's very hospitable, but then he takes it one more step. And Moses tells his father-in-law, what? All of the historical facts that he's just witnessed. He tells him about the plagues. He tells him about the Red Sea. Now listen, this would have blown Jethro away. Jethro, no, how do you get through the Red Sea? Nobody gets through the Red Sea with 2 million people. Jethro knows this. How do you feed 2 million people in the desert? How do you give 2 million people in the desert water to drink? How do you get out of Pharaoh? He's re- Moses is one after the other. He's just telling him the facts of the salvation, facts of the story. This is what happened. This is what God did. Then he's like, and you got attacked by the Amalekites? Those are bad dudes. How'd you get free of those guys? Oh, easy. Just kept my hand raised, right? God did it. God did this miracle. So right away, listen, this is what we see Moses doing when he's really trying to preach the gospel to his father-in-law, who's a pagan priest. He's hospitable, he's welcoming, he brings him in, he sits down, he talks to him, how are you, how are you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he tells the facts of the story, facts of the matter. But here is what I want us to see. He takes it one step further. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And look at this. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Moses tells his father-in-law about all the hardships that they had went through since being saved, since the Red Sea. The Red Sea was awesome. You should have saw it. We, God destroyed Egypt, God threw their armies, and then it, we walked through. It was amazing. Salvation is so good. Then we got through, man, things got hard. Things got difficult. I'm learning my limitations. Moses shares his weakness. This is missionary strategy here. Not just how awesome things are, how hard they've been. Moses shares the difficult parts of his story with his father-in-law, and he uses the moments of his deficiency and the people's deficiencies to tell of the sufficiency of God. It's when it's in our grumbling. It's in our complaining. It's when we ran out of bread. It's when we ran out of water and lost faith and God met our needs. God came near when we were weak and tired and under-resourced and angry and grumbling. It was then that God came near. And Jethro has never heard of a God like this. See, every other God abandons you in your weakness. 
When you fail them, they peace, they're out. They punish. But this God, this Yahweh, this God of Israel that Moses presents, when you fail him, he comes near to you. Jethro has, he, this is blowing the circuits here. A God this powerful that can destroy Egypt and open the Red Sea, and yet this personal, that when, it's, when you're weak and when you're tired and when you're broken, he comes near to you and provides for you. And look what happens. Verse nine, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hands of Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He's cleaning his mantle right here. He's taking off all the other gods. He says, Yahweh's different. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Right here, Jethro, a pagan priest, gets converted. Jethro was a skeptic, but he was an honest skeptic. When presented with new evidence, Jethro examines the evidence. He listens to his son-in-law to see Moses in front of him and all these obstacles behind him was a miracle and Jethro knew it. Jethro examines the evidence and he converts. He rejects his Midianite faith and puts his faith in Yahweh. And I don't want us to move past this too quickly. All religions are not the same. All religions do not lead to the same place. To say that rejects every religion that says, no, we're different. We do not lead to the same place. And for persons that go, yeah, all religions lead to the same place, it's to reject the individual claims of each religion. Jethro knew all religions are not the same. And he abandoned his old beliefs for the God of the Hebrews. But let us not stop there. Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, wasn't finished. Listen to this. God was not finished drawing near to people in their weaknesses and in their limitations. This scene we see here is actually just the preview. God took this further than anyone had ever imagined. He sent Jesus. Jesus is the eternal son of God. What we learn in the scriptures is that God is one, and yet he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, in Genesis 1, we see God saying, let us make man in our image, that God is Trinity, he's triune. And Jesus has existed as part of the Godhead for all eternity, but in in about 2,000 years ago, Jesus steps out of the Godhead in a sense and puts on flesh. He leaves heaven and puts on flesh, and he comes to draw near to us in our weaknesses. In John 1, Jesus is called the word of God that existed from the beginning, that made all of creation. And God sends Jesus to us to live the perfect life that we failed to live and die the death that we all deserve for our sins. 
God sees our limitations and weaknesses and personally comes down to meet them in Christ. He draws near to us, walks the earth with us. That's how near he comes. Now, I don't have the time this morning to share all of the historical events with you that prove Jesus was nothing less than the Son of God. But let me just say one thing. If you are a skeptic, have you truly examined the evidence for Christianity? Have you examined the evidence? There's, I'm going to give you three books right now. The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Making Sense of God by Tim Keller. And The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. The last one, I think he was an author for the Chicago Tribune. His wife got converted. He was an atheist. He wanted to prove Christianity wrong. Went out, examined, studied the historical claims of Christianity. was converted himself because Christianity is a historical reality. Christ was a historical person. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ was resurrected. There's historical proof. I don't have enough time to get into it this morning. So we have this great scene where Moses recounts all the way God has been faithful to the people. Jethro, this pagan priest, examines the evidence and is converted. He makes a sacrifice. He worships to God. This is, can you imagine this? Like, this is what we want to see happen. Like at Thanksgiving dinner, like your, your pagan father-in-law just, you know, throws his life on the mercy seat of Christ and just gives his life to Christ. And let's worship God. This is just amazing what happens, right? I imagine Moses went to bed that night, pumped up and rejoicing in God, feeling on top of the world. God, I'm so glad I got through those weaknesses that emo- those emotional limitations, that physical limitations. And look, God used it. Oh, I've learned my lesson now. This is great. I just shared the gospel with my father-in-law. He came to faith. This is amazing. God, you're so good. He lays his head on the pillow with a big old smile. Wakes up in the morning. And the next day is bring your father-in-law to work day. Jethro comes out, takes a look at how he's scheduled and structured his day, how he's organized the people. And Jethro's like, what the heck is going on? This is a terrible idea. You are doing it all wrong, Jethro says. Moses goes from on the top of the world back to reality. This is life, is it not? Up, down, ebb, flow, loss, gain, on Tuesday night, we were praying with some of our folks in our missional community going through really difficult times. As we're praying and as we're kind of suffering and grieving and carrying weight with them, like eight people in our missional community get text messages. We have a baby. Another person in our missional community had a, had a baby. We're just like, isn't this life? We're grieving. We're mourning. A baby. Praise God. It's like, how do you, you're like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. Rejoice and su- suffering. It's difficult. This is Moses. Wakes up, everything's changed. Yes, God used you last night, Moses, but you still have limitations. And here we see Moses learn that he has relational limitations. Look at verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And when the people stood around Moses from morning till evening, Now listen, I'm just gonna let you know, Moses is having meeting, basically a meeting after meeting after meeting from morning till evening, okay? His schedule is full. Hmm, I'm not, 
Let's just let that sit right there and we'll see where it comes back to. Let's keep going. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law. So let me just say this. Moses had a... Moses had a religious response. Moses had a spiritual reason. Why am I doing this? Because I'm God's man, because I'm serving the Lord, because I love God and I'm one, I love the people and I want to serve them and I want to meet their needs, right? But look what, God, look what Moses' father-in-law says in verse 17. Moses' father-in-law, he sees right through that, that religious response. And he said to him, what you're doing is not good. I, I love it. Bring your father-in-law to work day. Moses might be like, I'm my father-in-law, he's about to see I'm crushing this thing. I'm meeting everybody's needs. I'm up here from morning till evening, breaking my back for Jesus, right? I'm giving the gospel to them all. I'm sharing. They have a dispute. I'm here, right here. I'm laying my life down for the sheep here. I'm a good shepherd. I'm doing my job. And Jethro's like, what you're doing is not good. You're doing it all wrong. Mm, let's keep reading. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Here we go. Moses again gets confronted with his limitations. He was emotionally limited and he got angry and he lashed out and he sinned. And then last week he was physically limited and he couldn't keep his hands up. And now he's relationally limited. It's not good that he's trying to meet everybody's needs on his own. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear the people out. You're doing too much. Now listen, what you're doing is not good. Nobody wants to hear that. But we all need to hear it from time to time. We need people in our lives that can see us in a way that we can't see ourselves and they can say, brother, what you're doing is not good. Moses is trying to meet everyone's needs himself. And this is not good because two main reasons. One it's going to wear out Moses. Now think about that. See, I, uh, my little wrestler mentality that I have, like, it's going to wear me out? Well, isn't it supposed to? I want to spend myself, right? The harder, the better. If it ain't hard, it ain't, it ain't good. But, Mo, but most Jethro's like, actually, that's going to wear you out, and that's not good. You hear how gracious that is? The pace that you're keeping is not good. The situation where you're trying to meet everybody's needs yourself, that's not good. You're not built for it. You're going to wear out. There's grace for you in it. And secondly, this is going to prohibit the leadership gifts of others. Other people got to get involved. Other people need to carry some weight. Other people need to help lead this thing. And Jethro gives him a better way. Verse 19, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. 
you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and and what they must do. Moreover, look, look for able men. That means competent men. From all the people, look here, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. That means they have character. So we have this competent men and men of character. Find men who are competent and men who have character. And this is what I want you to do. Place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And let the people, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall decide themselves. All right, so he's saying this right here. Find some good, able men, competent with character, right? Build a leadership structure. I want them structured in tens and fifties and a hundreds and a thousands, right? Let the leaders lead and you handle the tough cases, right? This is what Jeth- Jethro more than likely had a, the spiritual gift of leadership, right? And he sees this, this ain't good. Moses, here, here's what you should do. This is similar now. Listen, we take this into the New Testament. This is similar to how Jesus did ministry. Jesus was not a one-man show. He had 12 apostles. He had three other men, that he, three men of the apostles that he would bring off on the side and have special meetings with them. Jesus trained his apostles and he commissioned them to do the work of ministry once he was crucified and resurrected and ascended back to God. And then we even see in Acts chapter 6, we see the apostles get together and we have some... Uh, Confusion going on in the church and some widows are being neglected and they need to be fed and they need to be taken care of. And the apostles come together and say, let's appoint some men to take care of these widows' needs so that we can devote ourselves to the preaching of the word and to prayer. And so we see this, that the apostles can't meet everybody's needs, just like Moses can't meet everybody's needs there. We see Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, we believe in a plurality of leadership. We believe in a plurality of eldership and then deacons and then missional community leaders and saints loving and serving one another. We've talked about that a little bit last week and from Ephesians 4. I'm not gonna get into it this morning, but here's what we're seeing. Moses, we're learning because we are relationally limited, we must involve others. We must involve others. Now look at verse 22. Here's the good news, guys. If we do this, Jethro says, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. Verse 22. So, yeah, let them decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you. Listen to this. Now, all my life I've grown up in the hard way is always the Christian way. If there's an easy way and a hard way, take the hard way because that's probably the Christian way. And Moses, and Jethro says here, actually, God's way is an easier way. It will be easier for you if you don't try to do it all, if you don't try to lead as a one-man show. Spread it around. Secondly, and they will bear the burden with you. So this is going to teach other people leadership. It's going to disciple them. They're going to learn that they need to carry some weight. They need to grow up and stop, you know, 
stop drinking milk and they need to you know, eat some steak and grow some muscles and carry some weight and lead some things and just make some disciples. That we don't just sit around and watch Moses. Woo, look at Moses. We're actually in the game ourselves. It's going to be better for you and it's going to be better for the people if you do it this way. Now listen, this is interesting. We'll just look. Look what happens next. Oh, also, and if you do this, God will direct you. Hmm. If it's easier for you and you've spread it around, you might have more time to actually listen to God. You're not running around trying to meet everybody's needs all the time. You might have some silence and some solitude to be able to connect with the Father and listen to him and follow his directions better. You will be able to endure. Hey, you know what? I don't want to be you know, a 40-year-old cardiac pastor, right? I don't want to be a guy who burns bright for a moment and then burns out. I want to be a guy who endures till the end. 60 years old, and I'm up here pounding this pulpit, I hope. Praise God. I hope so. Do you want to be a person that endures? That's still enduring in the faith and still making disciples and still here healthy, still loving God? We need to let others in. We need to learn to spread the leadership around. We need to learn our relational limitations. And you'll be able to, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for the people. Now look at verse 24 as I'm closing. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Now listen, this is a mark of a trustworthy leader. This is a man you can follow. And you know, this is a sign, hear me, that Moses is learning the gospel and the gospel's getting in him and doing good work. When confronted by his limitations and his weaknesses, Moses recognizes the God-given wisdom of his one-day-old baby Christian father-in-law and says, you know what, you're right, I should do that. I want you to think about that. You disciple a person, somebody comes to faith, and they're like, you're doing it all wrong. I just shared the gospel with you. You have new life because I just shared it with you. And day one... He's pointing out a flaw in Moses' armor here. And this is one of the greatest evidences of a person who has been changed by the gospel. They aren't defensive when they're critiqued. Moses has just had three episodes that have showed him he is messed up. He has limitations. He doesn't have the emotional capacity to be a sinless, perfect leader. He doesn't have the physical capacity to be an invincible leader. And he doesn't have the relational capacity to be everything for everyone. He cannot meet everyone's needs. And when a one-day-old Christian points this out to him, he accepts the criticism in humility. See, only the gospel can do this to a person's heart. Most of us would push back. You don't understand, Jethro. I have to do this. God's speaking to me. You ever seen a burning bush? I have. God ever held your hands up like this and you watched them open up? Who are you, Jethro? Yesterday, you were a pagan priest. Do I need to remind you of that? 
I probably have some insight you don't have, Jethro. Moses is about to go up and get Ten Commandments from the finger of God. But on day one of Jethro's conversion, he speaks to Moses and Moses listens. Moses doesn't push back. Moses repents. Moses changes directions. Okay, you're right. That's not, this isn't good. What I'm doing is not good. I'll do it your way. See, I began, how, did, how can he do that without getting defensive? How can he let someone critique him and tell him he's doing it all wrong and not argue? I started this sermon out by saying that our limitations are actually good news to us. Even though we don't believe it most of the time, our limitations, listen, are supposed to shine a huge spotlight on our need for Jesus. They are meant to humble us and point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel. All of us know that we should be living a good life. God commands it, and we know it deep down in our hearts. We're born with this moral impulse. He gives us the rules, let's say, to a good life in the Ten Commandments, and we're going to study that in the next couple weeks, one each week. I'm looking forward to that. But every single one of us have broken those commandments, and we know it. We have lied. We've stolen. We've lusted after others and coveted our friends' lives. And because of that, we are under God's judgment. We deserve his wrath. We deserve punishment. But the gospel tells us that Jesus came as the son of God and lived, listen, a perfect life. The one that we failed to live. He obeyed the 10 commandments. He obeyed all the laws of God perfectly. And yet instead of his obedience earning him an easy life, He took our place on the cross and took the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Then, because Jesus was God and was sinless, he had the power, Hebrews tells us, of an indestructible life. And three days later, after his death, he rose again. Now, this is where things get really interesting. Jesus rose again, and over 500 people witnessed him. His own brother who rejected Jesus when Jesus was saying crazy things like he's God. His own brother was James, was converted when he met the resurrected Jesus. He wrote a book in the Bible. And then Jesus ascends back to heaven to be with God the Father. And now, currently, he's standing at the right hand of God the Father, pleading for us. Here's what that means. When you see your limitations, and you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus' perfect obedience gets counted as your own. It's called by some the divine exchange. I give Jesus my sin, and he gives me his righteousness. Jesus takes my sin to the cross and kills it there, and then he gives me his righteousness. This means that I don't have anything to prove to anyone anymore. I am accepted by God because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Not because of my efforts, my abilities, my moral strength, my aptitude to reform, my ability to live tight, close to the law. I'm accepted 
because of Christ's righteousness, period. This makes me quick to admit my weaknesses and limitations. You point something out. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm a sinner. Makes sense. My identity is not built on how strong of a person I am anymore or how strong of a person I look or how good of a leader or good of a disciple or good of a parent or good of a student anymore. It's built on how good of a savior I have. My identity is built on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me. But listen, for people who don't believe the gospel, you will always rage against your limitations. You will be forever stressed out, running on fumes, feeling deep down like you just don't measure up. And when someone points something out that you've done it wrong, your boss or a colleague or your spouse or your children, you will be quick to lash out and quick to justify your behavior. And you won't listen to anyone who's been telling you that you're doing it wrong. You will be so defensive because you're still trying to build your identity on your goodness, on your good work. My call this morning is let us learn from Moses. Let's accept our limitations and accept the work of Jesus that was done on our behalf. In Christ, there is rest for our weary souls this morning. Will you, with me, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? Pray. Father, I thank you for this pericope here, this story in the Old Testament. It's so easy to idolize the heroes of our faith, men like Moses. We think they're superheroes. We think they're so much not like us. You chose them because they are bad mamajamas. That is not the case. They're fallen, they're fickle, they're finite, just like we are. They have weaknesses, just like we are. But Father, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would set us free, not to rage against our limitations, but to accept our limitations and accept the grace of God in our limitations that you provided for us by Jesus and through Jesus. Would you free our hearts from the slave the slavery of trying to prove ourselves to others. You are gracious, and we don't have to prove ourselves anymore to anyone. Father, let us remember that as we come to your table this morning. Jesus, the night that you were betrayed, you took this bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you took the cup and you said, this is my blood that's been shed for you. Eat it and drink it in remembrance of me. And we want to do that this morning. We remember that we are broken as well. We have limitations and that you've loved us in them. You've adopted us and forgiven us and given us grace. And this morning you remind us that by putting something in our hand, you are gracious, you are kind. Let us eat it and be filled by your spirit this morning, filled by your goodness, filled by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.